mercy and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Come, let us bow down to the Lord our Maker. Let us pray. Almighty and holy God, whom all the angels and all those who have gone before us into your very presence, they all praise you, and we join their praise this day. We pray that you would come and be present with us by your Holy Spirit, so that in our weakness and the poverty of our lives, we may still worship you with a right and true heart and mind. We pray you would be present with us, that you would uh, lift us up, our thoughts, our desires to yourself, that you would sanctify our worship, that you would bless our service, and may the praise of our lips be pleasing to you, because we bring our praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our, fine, our first hymn is number 115, All Creatures of Our God and King. <laughs>
Who can say, I have made my life clean? I am pure from sin. Let us confess our sins together with the prayer printed in the bulletin. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of our youth or our transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember us for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, pardon our guilt, for it is great. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, giving his life for us and dying for us on the cross and being raised into new life. This is the good news of the gospel. Let us say together, praise be to God. Christian people, our Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples, and now we receive his instruction. It comes to us through the apostolic teaching that came to the churches and that was written down and has been passed on to us. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So we are to pray for the things we need and continue to pray for them. And there are so many things going on. I I was listening to the classical radio station out of uh, MSU the other day, and the uh, host decided to play a Bach piece and then a contemporary piece. But he started off by saying "There there is so much evil in the world right now. And he's obviously thinking about the war in Israel, um, Ukraine, and who knows what else he's thinking about. But um, there are these things that have have come up, and there have always been these kinds of sins and problems coming before people. We've got to remember there are Christians in Israel and Palestine. There are Christians in Ukraine. There are the civilians who, who didn't, you know, cause anyone harm, who get caught up in the middle of it all. And so we think of them, and we think of things going on in our own nation, and we can obsess with these things. We can become um, just uh, really caught up in what's going on and, and depressed by it, really, or feeling helpless. And that's when we need to remember that we are called by Jesus and taught by Jesus to pray, to bring those things to our Lord because he does act in this world. He's not some distant God uninvolved. He does act. He works his purposes out, and he actually uh, brings things to a good end. We may not see that good end in our lifetime, but he does do it. So we need to remember to be praying and be encouraged to be praying and bringing those concerns that we have personally, privately, and also uh, nationally, internationally to our Lord to bring those to him and trust him to hear our prayers and to answer them as we make them in the name of Jesus Christ. So we are taught to bring our prayers to our Heavenly Father, and we uh, need to be encouraged to do that um, again. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 252, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 
think of them as beginning here in our worship, the first day of the week. And so we join together in prayer for those in need, and then that informs us and encourages us, inspires us to go forth, and during the week continue to pray. So let us pray. Eternal Father, we rejoice in your blessings and we trust in your care for us. You are inclined to us and you hear our cry through Jesus Christ. You have revealed that you are intent upon us through him. You are good and faithful, remembering the needy, those with needs, which really is everyone. As you have cared for us, you, we bring our prayers to you for the world and for Christ's people. So hear us, O blessed God. We make petitions for this sinful, broken world that's full of lies and doublespeak, arrogance, exploitation, and violence. While we wait for Jesus to come and bring all things to your perfect end, we pray that we might be able to bring changes that improve this world as we bear witness to your kingdom. And we do pray for those who work in the home, for those who labor in companies, for those who give medical and social aid, those who uphold justice, those who 
paint or help improve our living conditions. For all of these, we do pray. We also pray for the people in Palestine and Israel that the war would come to an end and there would be safety in that region. Hear our prayers. O Lord, for those who lead us, govern us, for our representatives and senators, may those who are elected be for the improvement of our society to the end that you would, we pray that you would guide their deliberations and that you would bring to nothing morally wrong plans, foolish plans, destructive plans. For those who frame our laws and keep order in our society, we pray, for judges who interpret the law, May they rule in humility, all of these rule in humility under your your authority and recognize your moral order for this world. May our civic order and laws be for everyone's well-being, and may the church be free to live out its faith in the public square. Here are prayers for those who lead us. For people in need those for whom life is a hard struggle, those whose lives are clouded by death and loss, by pain and disability, by sadness, by discouragement and missed opportunity. And for those who come to mind, hear our prayers in silence. For those in the circle of friendship and love around us, for children and parents, sisters and brothers, friends and neighbors, we pray for them. We thank you that they often care for us with great sacrifice on their part, and we know they grow tired and need rest. So we we ask you to hear our prayers for those friends and family who have given much to us. For the church which proclaims the gospel both here and abroad, that the church would bear witness to your word and mercy and faithfulness and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. May the church always have a concern for sinners. May it serve one another, and may it help the weak and needy. We especially pray for John Terrell, the pastor of Living Hope Church, and that church as they um, are formally particularized in the next couple weeks. We pray for the Delphils and for the Hop families in Haiti, for Ben Westerveld in Quebec, the Christian churches in those lands with whom they work. We pray that their work would be productive and that many would hear the gospel and be joined with your people. Here are prayers for all of these. We pray now for the healing and strength of faith for those in this church and among our friends who are sick, ailing, grieving, recovering, or fearful. We pray for Frida and Eduardo and Shirley, for Leah, for Jeff and Linda, for Bob and Fawn. We pray for our children who are studying, for Tammy's family, for the Roberts family, and also for our friends Becky, Jane, Bob, Phil, Tom, Angie, Karen, Dominique, and others we name to you in silence. We pray as well for, we bring our prayers for Derek and Michael and Joe, the other prisoners in jail. 
We ask you would turn them to Christ, and if they know Christ, that they would be encouraged, be talking to other Christians who have found themselves in jail, and may they um, have that transformation where they would live for him when they are released. Bless those in need of your bountiful care and mercy. Hear our prayers with thanksgiving and trust through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. Please be seated. And as we open God's Word together, we pray for the illumination of the Spirit on our reading. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us your Word and um, for giving us an opportunity to gather in your name, to read your Word, to hear it uh, exposited and preached and taught. And we pray that by your Spirit we would understand what we hear, and you would give us ears to hear and that it would bless us, not just in this moment, for, uh, but for the days and weeks to come. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Numbers, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. 
And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we would had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone, said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater greater and mightier than they. Our Psalter response is from Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. You, O Lord, will keep them. On every side, the wicked prowl. Our epistle reading this morning comes from the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, 
and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager, eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Finally, our gospel this morning comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. The word of the Lord. When you receive a letter about a project or an endeavor that you support, the last thing you want to hear is that there are setbacks or difficulties or problems. We would much rather hear that all is well. Dear friends, everything is going according to plan. I love those kind of letters. We are having great success. We do not want to hear that someone with whom we are working was just arrested. The last thing we want to hear is that some great venture we have started is restricted and bogged down. And how much more is this true for the church? We don't want to hear that the work of the gospel, the mission of the church, was moving along well, such as in a place like Eritrea, where the OPC has worked historically in the past. But now the government has cracked down on the beginning of new churches and Bible studies and those kinds of things, and church meetings are forbidden. Pastors are being thrown in prison, and the Protestant Christians are told to renounce their faith or be condemned as criminals. None of us wants to hear of a church well-known for preaching the Word of God and teaching people the way of Christ is disturbed by divisions and disagreements. So to hear these kinds of things, whether it's of a church somewhere else uh, away from us or in our very communities, to hear of these kinds of things makes us wonder about that church and the effectiveness of the ministry in that place. It's sort of a natural 
way we go with hearing the bad news. It might even make us anxious and discouraged, and the success of the work of the gospel looks dim. And so we would rather hear that there are no setbacks. Difficulties in the church are commonly interpreted as indications that someone is doing something wrong. In ancient Israel, it was believed that something was wrong with Moses' leadership. He led the people of Israel into the wilderness, and then we hear this story from Numbers, our Old Testament lesson today. And in part, it says, The whole congregation of the people of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. At a different place, in a different time, it was believed that there was something wrong with Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, and his message. And the leaders were so bothered, upset by Jeremiah, that they took hold of him and threw him into a well to sink down in the mud. And the same thing happened with Jesus. In our gospel lesson, Jesus' hometown people were flummoxed that little Jesus, who had grown up there, was now teaching them and doing mighty works. Jesus was no one special, they thought. We know his brothers and his sisters. We, we grew up, this kid grew up in our midst. He did not even heal most of the sick in the village. So never mind their lack of faith. They didn't really think about the need for faith and belief. The general consensus in his hometown was that there was something wrong with Jesus being the Messiah and having authority over them. Now, when there have been tragedies and hardship in a church, the assumption often has been made that God is displeased with that church. So those Christians or that ministry has done something wrong and God is punishing them for it. Like Job's friends who come to him in his suffering and said, this is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. Now, if a church is not teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or is doing something immoral, then we know from Scripture that God is displeased by that. And from this, we might draw the conclusion that if a church is facing hardship or a pastor is suffering, then God must be displeased with it or with him. So it's kind of like turning it around. On July 1st, 2003, a bolt from the sky hit the steeple of First Baptist Church in the small town of Forest, Ohio, and it set it on fire. And that in itself is really not that unusual. There are lightning strikes that start fires all the, every year, and lightning sometimes strikes, hits buildings and structures, including churches. This is the first time that's happened. But what elevates this tale above other similarly true stories is what was happening inside the church when the lightning hit. The Reverend Don Hardman, who was a traveling evangelist from Virginia, was preaching to the congregation during the storm. So he's preaching inside the church. The storm's raging outside. And he said, according to the Bible, Hardman told the crowd, God's voice often sounds like thunder. And then he said, that's right, God, we hear you. And he looked up to heaven, and right at that moment, kapow, a bolt of lightning hit the church. And it caused $20,000 worth of damage. The reporter, the person reporting on this story said, was God goaded by a preacher into doing that? So maybe this preacher 
is the reason why God did that. He did something wrong, and God is striking him. That's the kind of the way we interpret things that happen, setbacks in the church. But problems for the church are not always a sign of the church doing something wrong. If God were to strike churches for bad theology or a dismal liturgy, if he was to strike each one of us because we've got something wrong in our life, there would be a lot of burning churches in this world and a lot of burnt-up Christians. Setbacks do not necessarily indicate God's judgment on a church. Setbacks, in fact, are a regular part of the gospel and the life of the church. They're a regular part of it. They always have been. Now, I know we really don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. We would rather hear of success after success. Everything is smooth sailing. Everything is in an upward trajectory, just building, 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 and growing great. We don't want to hear of troubles for the work of the gospel in the church. There's this utopian belief in a gospel that goes forth benighted and in unhindered, untouched splendor. But that sort of belief just isn't so. An unmolested, trouble-free gospel is the dream of idealism in the church. Crusaders and dreamers marching forward, expecting all the obstacles to fall away with ease. An idealism that says if you plant it, they will, just, they will come just because it's there. The church that preaches the word of God will be successful with plenty of people and money. Well, the story of God's salvation lacks any of that idealism. In its stories are difficulties and problems bumping into the labors of the gospel and the work of the church. There are wicked cities, invading armies, insurrections, greedy kings, enticing religions, false prophets, ethnic cleansing, foolish decisions, demons, sickness, sin, and they're all things the gospel has encountered and the church has had to deal with. As the church carried the gospel into the world at the beginning, it was overwhelmingly persecuted and martyred. The church has been outlawed as socially destructive. It has been vehemently attacked by non-Christian philosophers. It has been accused of contributing to childishness and mental illness. Today it is often ignored or pushed aside. And most local churches are small and financially limited. So a gospel without setbacks just isn't so. And I call them setbacks. That's really a mild way of putting it, isn't it, when you start filling in the blank of what those setbacks are. But a gospel without setbacks just isn't so. If the progress of the gospel is supposed to be free from setbacks, then Paul's report that we heard this morning from Philippians is warrant for some serious concern. Paul alludes to two setbacks in his labor for the gospel, and one of those is that he's in prison. Verse 13 in Philippians chapter 1 refers to his imprisonment. Now, the church had great interest, the church in Philippi and other churches had a great interest in bringing the gospel to prisoners. Providence Church sends some of us into the Oakland County Jail every month, and Mr. Klaus and I went last Friday, just a couple days ago. There are many Christian organizations that have concentrated on this work, so the prison is one of those places where we want the gospel to go, we want Christians to go. We want Christians to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into the jails, and then we want those Christians to come back out of the jail. Whether they're teams of Christians leading Bible studies or pastors regularly preaching and teaching the inmates, we don't want the followers of Jesus Christ to become incarcerated themselves. 
It inhibits the labor of the gospel. People would be suspicious of my work as a minister and a preacher if I went up to the Oakland County Jail last Friday and was teaching in the classroom and, and leading the worship in the classroom, and then the deputies walk in and arrest me and keep me there. That would throw some doubt and suspicion on what I was doing and why I was there and my whole life. But Paul writes to the church, and he doesn't even try to hide the fact that he's imprisoned. Now, the other setback that Paul alludes to in his letters that some people were opposed to him. Verse 15, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And then verse 17 says they they proclaim Christ out of partisanship, out of a a party spirit, not sincerely, but thinking to to afflict me in my imprisonment. They preached Christ out of partisanship against Paul. It was not that they were preaching some other message They were at odds with Paul. It was personal. We don't know the situation, but whatever it was, it would appear to be a setback. And it's never good when the church is divided and preach the gospel out of rivalry. Working hard to preach the gospel in order to stop another minister and church from preaching the gospel is a competition that has no place in the church, even if we come from different theological traditions. Competing to see which church can make a bigger name for itself personalities vying to overshadow each other, trying to ruin another minister of the gospel because of personal suspicion and dislikes is not only because of sins like jealousy or arrogance, it's also counterproductive for the gospel. Preaching the gospel, hoping to ruin other Christian churches is an opposition that could have marginalized Paul and his missionary work with the Philippian church. Now, these would appear to be serious setbacks for the work of the gospel in the days of Paul. But for him, they are otherwise. For Paul, these setbacks were immaterial because of the expansive quality of the gospel. Paul writes, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The gospel advances. The mission of the church advances. It is like a deluge of water running over the banks that otherwise would channel it, flowing over rocks and around trees and anything that stands in its way. It seeps into the cracks of long-standing walls, and it trickles through holes in carefully sealed chambers. It moves forward and on and on and on. The prophets of Israel spoke of one who would come in righteousness and the spirit of the Lord would be upon him and the earth would be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Jesus spoke of the gospel of the kingdom of God as a small seed that grows and grows until it fills the air and gives shade to all. The story of the gospel is a story of expansion in spite of the setbacks. Expansion from this small little group of Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, expanding into Asia and Africa and Europe, and then on to North and South America and Australia. And the gospel is advanced through Roman prisons and Greek philosophies. It is moved through wild oceans and desolate deserts. It is spread through arrogance and division and unbelief and hatred. And so much so has it expanded that now we can go hardly anywhere in this world without running into the shadow and the ministry of the gospel. During the Afghanistan war, the early days of the Afghanistan war, there was a news story about 23 Korean Christians who went to Afghanistan for mission work. Now, if I were to think about going out into the mission field, 
Afghanistan is not one of those places I would be thinking about during a war, but that's what they did, and hats off to them. So they went to Afghanistan for mission work, and during their trip they were kidnapped and their leader was killed. After two months, they were finally, finally released due to the negotiations of the Korean government with the Taliban. The Korean officials promised not to allow any more Christian missions into Afghanistan. So I don't know if that's a new box you have to check when you get onto the airplane, go through customs, when you're leaving Korea, I will not go do missions in Afghanistan. Seems like an empty promise. But what struck me in these reports was that these governments don't understand the expansion of the gospel. The gospel has already been in Afghanistan. And these setbacks, like what happened to the Korean missionaries, are not going to prevent it from advancing forward. Now, oddly enough, the gospel of Jesus Christ grows strongly in the midst of setbacks. And this is what we're told in our scripture reading. Paul mentions his imprisonment and then says that what has happened is that the whole Roman guard has learned that he was imprisoned for Christ And so the soldiers heard about Jesus Christ because of the setback of Paul's imprisonment. And Paul refers to some who preach Christ from envy and rivalry. But then he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Whether they're opposed to me or not, the gospel is going to go forward and expand. Weakness and setbacks are not disasters for the gospel. They are not disasters for the church. They are opportunities for the gospel to spread more. It's like this trumpet vine that I once saw in a desolate, dry part of western Kansas. It was growing at the site of an old farm that had long been abandoned out in the middle of nowhere. There was no one to tend the vine and water it, a dusty old house set on the spot. And in spite of the hot, hot sun and the scarcity of rain, the vine had grown all over the house and into the house. It had spread over the yard, and it ran over the scraps of wood and old metal tools that lay around. Its bright orange flowers, shaped like the bell of a trumpet, were resting everywhere, and it had become a thing of beauty for all those who traveled on that highway in the high plains. The gospel has an expansive quality like that trumpet vine. And it's because of the subject of the gospel itself. It's because of Jesus Christ that it has that expansive quality. It's not something just inherent in in the, the message itself. It's because of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Mark tells us that early in his ministry, Jesus was in his hometown and his families and friends were put off by him. He was invited to teach in the synagogue and the people with great disdain said, Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and Joseph? We know his brothers and sisters. And Mark says they took offense at him. Mark's report of Jesus' visit to his hometown was that he could do few mighty works there and the people did not believe in him. That would look like a pretty big setback if your own people don't respond to you well, especially at the beginning of your ministry. But what did Jesus do? Did this, set, did this setback discourage him or cause him to doubt what he was doing? No, he went on to other villages teaching and healing. And he kept going in his ministry. He kept going and going, even though these, these setbacks, these confrontations would keep coming. He kept going because he was going to the cross. That's why he came. 
The Son of God became man and encountered many obstacles and what we might call setbacks. He became man with all the frailties of our humanity. That is a setback. Temptation came to whisper its sweetest allurements to him. He listened to his disciples as they came to him fighting about which one of them was the greatest. Standing in his way were the Pharisees and the Sadducees who publicly disputed his teachings and accused him of disobeying God. And looming before him was that enormous obstacle of the cross, death, and the colossal sin of the world. And all these are obstacles, at least they they look that way to us in this world. They were all obstacles confronting our Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet with each one, he went forward for our salvation. He assumed our flesh and healed it and raised it up to God. Instead of succumbing to sinful temptation, he rejected those temptations, and he gave to us the promises of God. He created faith where there was none. He taught his disciples the kingdom of God. (coughs) His answers to the Pharisees became the word of God. And the cross, he didn't turn away from it, but went forward to the cross where he was sacrificed for our sin and raised for our justification. Not even death could stop the progress of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes forward for us, and so his gospel goes forward in this world, even with the setbacks. Setbacks do not stop the expansion of the gospel. They do not stop the work of the church, because it doesn't depend on our success. That's the mistake we make, is we think somehow this depends on us. Well, it doesn't. The gospel expands because of Jesus, because he goes forward. Just like when he went to Nazareth, Jesus does not avoid setbacks. He walks right into them. Do not judge the labors of the gospel or the work of the church by its setbacks. So here at Providence, we have had our setbacks. Our membership has shrunk in size. We don't have as many children as we once had. Sometimes we have not met our budget. And once, we even had a fire back there in the furnace room. Now, we could look at these things and think that we're doing something wrong, or perhaps God has passed us by. But our setbacks do not determine the expansion of the gospel here. Jesus does. In so many words, Paul says the setbacks are immaterial. As far as the progress of the gospel is concerned, it does not matter. It did not matter if he was in jail. It did not matter if there were some who preached Christ from envy and rivalry. They were still preaching Christ, and the gospel was going forward. Paul did not give the setbacks he experienced too much weight, and neither should we. Now, sure, we cannot ignore them. I say they didn't matter. Yeah, they mattered to some degree, but not as much as we might think they did. We can't ignore them, but they don't impede the progress of the gospel, the mission of the church, and the work of God's grace in your life. The good news of Jesus Christ is utterly remarkable. Let it captivate your hearts and minds instead of the setbacks that we experience in the work of the gospel. Let it absorb into your soul, expanding and spreading to every nook and cranny in your being, filling you with the confidence of Jesus Christ. It did this for the Apostle Paul, so much so that he could write, With full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Jesus Christ has overrun our life and our death. 
So either way, the setbacks do not stop the progress of God's salvation of us in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord of all power and might, who is the author and finisher of our salvation in Jesus Christ, graft in our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true faith, nourish us with all goodness, and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. (coughs) We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to invite um, Annie Caesar and Barbara Hannum and Randy um, Carter forward, and Matthew um, Cassidy is the other one, and then the elders to come forward. We're going to commission... This, these four um, for our search committee, pastoral search committee. So, um, yeah, if you could all come forward. A brief word about what they're going to be doing. They're under the oversight of the session. So, what they do comes back in the review of the session, and uh, there is an elder that's attached to leading this. Um, and I'll have to explain all this. Matthew Sturdy, we want to make sure he knows that. And uh, they're going to be doing the work um, with guidelines set by the session, putting together the form that's going to be used for um, talking about the kind of pastor that this church wants. We've done some uh, self-study group meetings here. That some of that information is going to be used in it. And uh, once that is put together and the session signs off on it, then um, it will be distributed, sent out to various different um, outlets, and uh, we'll begin the process of receiving um, applications or interests from men who would like to be pastored here. So um, we, we have some work ahead of us, and uh, we want this to be a very open process, so you're always welcome to share thoughts with the session and with the committee. Um, but uh, as we get that formulated and put together, then it's going to be a process, and who knows how long it's going to take. But um, we're getting to look for someone, and we have time. You know, we, we can do this with care. There's no rush here. So um, uh, that's what they're going to be doing. They probably are wondering what they're going to be doing <laughs> because it's, it's a new thing here. But 
the Lord's at work in this and will help guide and give us the grace and strength to put it together. So um, that's what's going to be happening. But we wanted to um, bring this before the congregation and actually just pray for them uh, as they begin. So that's what we want to do. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you um, have uh, raised up these four individuals to be able to be part of the search committee. We thank you that the work can be spread out here. We pray that you would help them to think carefully and uh, use the resources they have to um, create a good, um, uh, very clear, transparent, um, accurate document that helps pastors know what we're about and what uh, we're committed to here. We know that ultimately that is Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, and being a community um, that is serving him and, and uh, worshiping him. So we pray that uh, there would be a pastor found who can um, step in and help the church continue forward. Pray you bless us in this process and help us to trust you and to work together. We ask all this um, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, our hymn is the insert, Lord enthroned in heavenly splendor.
words of Scripture, you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish and spot. These are the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they were delivered to the church by the Apostle Paul. So the delivered word is a very important word in that passage in 1 Corinthians. It has to do with tradition being handed on. So Christ instituted the meal and then his apostles, he commissioned them, appointed them to go forth, start the churches and hand on what he had uh, given to the apostles and that meal that he started with his disciples. And so that delivered is an important word. It is being delivered to you now with the apostolic word. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was, when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is my privilege as Christ's minister to invite all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ and belong to a Christian church or identify with a Christian church by faith and baptism. You are welcome to come and join us at this meal. If that's not the case for you, we're glad you're here. You should stay back until such time that you're visibly joined with Christ's community, which is by the, by the um, evidence of baptism, profession of faith, and being united with a Christian church. As you accept this gracious invitation, you confirm that you are trusting Jesus Christ alone as your Savior from sin and endeavoring with all your heart to obey Him, and that you are seeking to live with love and concern for your fellow Christians with whom you'll be eating and drinking. Coming to the Lord's table, we cannot harbor grudges or unforgiveness towards each other. To do so makes a mockery, quite frankly, of the gospel, because it's all about our sins being forgiven and we're being forgiven. And so we are not to do that. It does not please the Lord when we do that. Instead, when you come, you're to affirm your love for one another in Jesus Christ. Join with me and give you thanks to God for our salvation through Jesus Christ and our new life in Him. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and grace. Let us pray. We give you thanks, Almighty God, for you have created us in your image. You've given us a world full of good things. We have partaken, each one of us has partaken of those good things. But most of all, you have sent your beloved Son, who though he is God and equal with you, became a man and lived among us as the servant of our salvation. He was obedient even to die on the cross so that we might pass from death to life. He was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And therefore, with all of heaven, we praise your great and glorious name. And we utter those words that we hear in Revelation, but the heavenly host sings before your presence. We utter them in praise and with great, glad, uh, thankful hearts. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now we pray that you would consecrate this bread and cup so that our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup may be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For we do receive them, profess our faith with the church, that Christ has died, and Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We thank you that even as there is one bread and one cup, so the church is one, and together with all your holy people, we have been united to Christ. We praise you and glorify you forever, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom all good things come, and who has blessed us with the life-giving Spirit. To you is all the honor and glory along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we offer our thanksgiving with one voice, and we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for us to redeem us from our sin and reconcile us to God. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. 
Gracious God, we give you thanks for calling us out of darkness into your glorious light. We thank you that you have fed us with the sacrament, united us with Christ, given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in your eternal kingdom. Strengthen our faith now and increase our love for one another. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and to work for your praise and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Our final hymn is number 369, Shout for the Blessed Jesus Christ. Take a moment to look at the items in the bulletin, in the insert, uh, beginning with 
Christian education classes, which will take place today. Uh, the new series on narrative apologetics has begun and will continue today. Um, let's see, we have Friday evening prayer coming up. Um, and it says it will be at the church at 6.30 on Friday evening on the 20th. What else? We're, we're thinking about pizza for that, right? I've done, I've done some research, and I've got something in mind for Mrs. Roberts if she's there, and I've got something in mind for Leah if she's there, and all the rest of you can get the junk pipe. Oh, Jack, I'll put you in the special group. <laughs> okay. I went to Costco. I started looking around. Cool. <laughs> Thursday night Bible study? 7 p.m., Development of the Christian Canon. We're and doing some readings of um, some of the, the writings, the apocryphal writings. We'll actually do some other readings from pseudo-Christian sources. And we're looking at those as we talk about the development of the canon. They're not real long. but um, So it's, it's an interesting class. I hope you can come. It's not too late to jump in. Michael. I have to. First off, I wanted to express gratitude to all that were um, came to the uh, visitation and funeral, and the words of support, the prayers, all the contributions done for for me and my family. Um, really, I, I, this is this is what we do for one another in the church. Is when we're hurting, we we strengthen and uphold and what we can to support one another, and I just really appreciated that. Um, and the second one announcement that I had is just really much more mundane and boring, but I'd like to get together with the trustees briefly if I could this morning. Maybe after the service we can just meet up there. And the session needs to meet with the search committee right after. Oh, right after. Oh, yes. Uh, so session to meet with the search committee briefly, um, presently. Janine? Thursday morning prayer from last week was postponed until this Thursday. Okay, so it will be back on track this Thursday at Deneen's house. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Um, After some, I guess, soul searching prayer and discussion with uh, my co leader, we decided to cancel the celebrate recovery group for now. we haven't been getting any attendance for the last couple of weeks since hmm. we switched tonight. And I oh. reached out to several other members, but not really gotten anything that tells us what we need to do differently, I guess. Okay. So our thought is to um, find a new game plan early summer next year, late summer next year, and figure out how we relaunch and possibly work with uh, several other churches to create a very concentrated celebrated country in the area. Okay, so Amy is kind of regrouping uh, with Celebrate Recovery due to low attendance recently, and uh, we'll think about how to relaunch the program in the months ahead. Very good. All right, that is all.